questions like this. Is marriage a command? Is it a command to be married? Because in that time, there was a, a sect that was saying, yes, you've got to be married. If not, it's sinful. Or should a believer marry uh, in that regard? Or should they stay single? Is it more, uh, is it more beneficial? Or is there, are you holier if you're single? Or questions like this. Should a believer who comes to, to know Christ um, that was not before, should they abstain from sexual relations? And we talked about that last week, and the answer was no. And everyone said amen to that, right? <laughs> or not, okay. <laughs> I was saying amen. I was like, thank the Lord that that's not part of the deal. Um, but anyway, should a Christian marry uh, married to a non-Christian get divorced? That was another question. And there was all these questions that were going back and forth between the Corinthian church and and uh, between Paul, and there was a lot of confusion. Uh, it, it was kind of like the lady uh, who wanted to marry four different men in her lifetime. She was confused as well, and she said each one of the four would help her with the things that she needed most. So she said, I want to marry four, and the first one I want to marry is a banker. The second person I want to marry is to be a movie star. The third one is to be a pastor, a clergyman. Then the fourth one, finally, to be a funeral director. And someone finally got the nerve up to ask her, why do you want to marry these four? And she said, hey, it's easy. One for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, and four to go. Uh, My wife just says, (laughs) she was confused. I appreciate that, David. I'm going to send you an extra 50 or 100, whatever we swear. You know, it's coming your way, brother. And the more amens coming from you, the more we're going to support you. No. All right. All right. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. All right. All right. So seriously, we're in chapter 7. And Paul is addressing some serious uh, topics, some really practical things. Um, it's kind of hard to preach through, honestly. I, I was saying first service, um, it doesn't get easier. You know, we've, we've, had, we've tackled some hard subjects already, uh, but today uh, we're going to talk about marriage and divorce and uh, chapter 7 in its entirety talk, covers singleness and being widowed and different things. And uh, it's, not, it's not easy, but it's very practical, and I believe it's God's Word, and I believe God wants to speak to our hearts today uh, for sure. Now, last week, we talked about uh, through the first seven verses, and we noticed there that singleness was good. Uh, The word there was talus. It means um, it is beneficial or there is benefit in that. Um, But it didn't mean that singleness was better or that it was the best way. It just, Paul was recognizing that if you can be single, it's good. We also recognize that singleness is not for everyone. How many of you are married here, right? All right, there's a lot of us married, and so singleness is not for everyone. And then last week we said if you're married, your body is not your own. There's a mutual sharing, a mutual sacrifice. And today we're going to kind of piggyback on some of that or kind of take the next step. And Paul is going to address four situations that you may find yourself in. And he's bringing wisdom and bringing some guidelines 
And the, really, the overriding idea of this morning, what we're talking about, is divorce. And is divorce, you know, what, and we're going to kind of get to the nitty-gritty of it. But when we think about divorce and when we talk about divorce, um, there are many that are here that have experienced divorce in your own life. There's a sadness. And maybe as a kid, maybe your parents got divorced. Or maybe, um, you know, after being married for uh, just a short time, maybe your marriage ended or whatever the case. And it's painful sometimes to hear others talk about divorce. It's a tender subject. No one walks down the aisle and says, oh, I don't see this working out, right? No, you, when you walk down the aisle and you're going to get married, you got best hopes. You got, you know, you're committing yourself. But the sad thing is that statistically, marriages are as likely to end as they are to succeed in the long term. And that's scary. And, uh, but what's interesting is it's not a problem just in 2014 today. This is a problem that has roots all the way back into Bible times. In fact, it's not a new problem. And when Paul was writing this to the Corinthian church, it was, there was a huge problem of divorce in the Roman Empire. There were issues about this all over. Divorce was rampant in that culture and even in Judaism um, and certainly at the church of Corinth. And you say, well, why was it such a big deal? Well, we talked last week that there was no standard way for people to get married. It wasn't just one way to do it. So slaves would get married, and then their slave owners would sell them, and the marriage would dissolve. The, they, they would, uh, it, would, it would be a, a divorce or a separation. There were those that would just live together for a year, and then common law went into fe- effect, and then they're married. They decide not that they don't want to live together anymore, and there was a certificate of divorce issued. Or there was a bride sale type of marriages. The, the bride or even the groom sometimes, not as often, would go to the highest bidder to pay off debt or to, to uh, it was a business transaction. And even when it was in the, in the best of situations where there was a full ceremony, like we talked about last week, their divorce was very, very common, just like today. Now, when we go through these verses, God, uh, Paul is bringing some wisdom through the, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for us to be able to grow and to learn. And uh, he's going to talk to widows and the, those that are divorced. He's going to talk to those that are married uh, to a believer. He's going to talk to those married to an unbeliever. And, uh, and as he's speaking, each of these things is very practical. And, uh, but we want our hearts to be open. And uh, this is difficult material to kind of get through, but I believe that God wants to speak. And so I'm going to ask that you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And uh, like we normally do, I'm going to ask that you stand to honor God's Word. And if you need a copy of God's Word, you can grab one on the back tables. I believe there's some uh, Bibles back there. But let's look at these verses and ask the Lord for His help today. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 8. Now to the unmarried and the widows I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married I give this command, not I but the Lord, a wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. 
To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if, you are unbeli- but if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husbands, whether you will save your wife? Let's pray. Lord, these words are really uh, practical, um, very sensitive. God, I pray that you'd help me to be your mouthpiece, that everything I say would be from your heart. And God, give me clarity. And uh, Lord, I just pray for open hearts to receive And God, I pray that every single person here, young and old, uh, married, uh, unmarried, uh, divorced, uh, widowed, uh, um, you know, just, you know, the children, the young adults here and uh, the teenagers, God, that there would be something here, a nugget of truth that we can sink our teeth into. And uh, Lord, that it would help us to grow in you. Lord, we thank you for it. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. So what, I, what we're going to do here is there are four sections. In each of the sections, are, uh, there's a guideline here for a certain uh, set of people. And the first set is in chapters, or at verses 8 and 9. And the first set is the guidelines for those who have been widowed or divorced. And we're going to look at this. Let's look at verse 8. It says, Now to the unmarried and to the widow... Uh, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. The first thing I want you to notice here is that the word unmarried there is the word agamois. And it is most likely not talking to those who have never been married or to singles. It is most likely to, uh, to those who have either been widowed or divorced, okay? You say, well, how do you know that? Well, one way is that in verse 25, Paul is directly talking to uh, those that are single. He talks to the virgins, and he uses a completely different word there. But more compelling, I believe, is that when you look at this, it uses the term unmarried, that agamois, and widows together. And there's a pattern here in chapter 7, in fact, 12 times in all, where, there, where Paul talks about husbands and wives, wives and husbands, male and female. There's a pattern in that. You see it in verses 3, verse 8, verses 12 and 13, verses 15 and 16, and then even beyond that uh, after uh, today's material. And so what, we're, what you can infer is that that word agamois is most likely to someone that is unmarried and most likely uh, to be, you could use the word, a widower. And so let's just put that kind of in context there. Let's read it that way. Now to those who are unmarried, those that have been married at one time and are not married at this point to a widower or widows or divorce. And then what Paul says through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says it is good for them to stay unmarried. That word good is the same word from last week that it's preferable, it's beneficial. And Paul's saying, look, 
my encouragement to you is to stay in this way just like I am. You say, well, what, what is this? Well, Paul, most people believe that he was probably married at one point. The main uh, reason for that is because he was part of the Jewish Sanhedrin before he was a Christian, before he surrendered his life to the Lord. And to be able to do that, you, one of the requirements was to be married. And so we don't really know if he was widowed, if his wife died, or if he was divorced, which is actually probable um, in, the, in this context. But either way, Paul is saying, look, it is good if you've been married before and you find yourself unmarried to stay that way. And that's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying that if you've never been married or if you have been married and are no longer, he's saying stay single. And if you don't have to be married, then don't get married. 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 5 brings some more light to this. We won't take the time to do it, but I, I want to encourage you to, to write it down, especially if you're a widower or a widow, um, to read through that. And there's some more instruction in regards to that. But what's interesting is that Paul is not saying that it's sin to get married or to get remarried, but he's saying if it's not necessary, then don't do it. If you can live a fulfilled life as a single adult, he said that would be good. It would be beneficial. It would be preferable in that way. But then he gives us chapter or verse 9. He says, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And I just want to take a second to uh, what, what that means is that, look, if you are, were married at one point and you're, there's a passion inside of you and uh, he's talking really about sexual temptation here. If he's saying if the sexual temptation is too great or if you can't uh, have self-control or if you can't uh, live with abstinence, then stop that temptation. And he's saying, go ahead and get married. It would be better to get married than to burn with passion. And so it's just an interesting verse there. And I was thinking about it, and I was thinking about, you know, just you know, a practical takeaway for, for young people that maybe aren't married. I think there's some truth here that is important that when you get engaged, young people, and even uh, those that are older that may get engaged at some point, short engagements, I believe, are from the Lord. Because you will burn with passion, let me tell you. And my wife and I, we were married, we got married at, at a young age, and, uh, but we were engaged for a year, and it was only by God's grace that we didn't uh, fail as miserably uh, or worse than we did. And, uh, but I'll tell you, God, he helps us. <laughs> Jessica just goes, like, what are you going to say? I'm not going to say anything anymore, obviously. <laughs> but uh, we are not recording this, or if we are, we're going to use first service, just so you know. <laughs> oh, man, I'm just, like, messing up. But uh, thank you. She said it's okay. <laughs> but anyway, but seriously, uh, short engagements. That's what I felt. I put in my notes, all right? It's just an encouragement. Uh, it's just, uh, just take my word for it. All right, okay. All right. All right, so you tracking with me so far? So for that first guideline, he's talking to those that have been widowed or divorced, and he's saying, look, stay unmarried, or if you're, you're, you know, there's a burning desire, then get married. Now let's continue, verse 10. 
Verse 10 here, he addresses a totally different group of people. Now it's looking at guidelines for those that are married to believers. And you say, well, it's not, we're not, it doesn't say that explicitly, but it does infer that because after that he talks about those married to unbelievers specifically from verses 12 on. And so let's, let's read this. It says, to the married, and that means to the married that are married to a believer, two believers living together, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. And at the end of verse 11, and a husband must not divorce his wife. Now this is talking to two believers, two believers living together that are married. And the encouragement is for them not to divorce, not to separate. And it's very interesting. In this uh, verse, he says, not I, but the Lord. And he's saying, what he's basically saying is that Jesus, in his ministry, he talked about this. In Christ's teaching, he encouraged men and women never to separate. And in most cases, he's saying, look, divorce is not an option. But in that society, when this was written, the uh, Corinth culture, there was a, they felt like there was a right to get divorced. There was a high value in that, and there was two lines of thinking, one from a rabbi named Hillel, another one from a rabbi named Shammai, and uh, they would de- have these debates as to um, their own rights to get divorced. And they had this, uh, something called any cause divorce. It's kind of like a no-fault divorce in that culture. So if they were unhappy for any reason at all, they could issue a certificate of divorce, walk away from their marriage, and it was happening all over the place. Literally, the commentators I was reading, they would say, look, um, for any reason at all, to the point of uh, really silly things, they burnt the toast or they, uh, you know, they, they didn't um, you know, serve hot coffee. They'd say, hey, I'm done. I'm out of here. And literally, for any cause, they could break the marriage vows in that culture. And Jesus is saying, look, no. For two believers, they need to stay married. They need to stay married. That's the point. But it kind of begs the question, when can divorce be considered from a biblical perspective? And this passage doesn't talk about that specifically, but I want to bring some light into that. Um, It's been very helpful. Uh, Matt Biller, a a licensed marriage and family counselor, uh, he attends our church. He's working back in the kids with his wife today on Mother's Day so our our other moms could enjoy the service. But um, he's been very helpful in this, giving me some information. And as we're talking about this and uh, kind of uh, trying to, for me, trying to get my mind around this idea, when is divorce uh, biblically, when, when could you have grounds to divorce someone? And what Matt said is that really you need to go back to the vows. What constitutes a marriage? The vows do. And then in those vows, at every wedding you've ever been to, you've heard there's a promise to love and to care, a promise to to provide and protect, and a promise to be faithful. And when we talk about that, let's talk about these individually. Let's talk about the faithfulness. In Matthew chapter 19, in Matthew chapter 5, uh, Jesus talks about it specifically about being faithful in a marriage. That has roots from the Old Testament, from Deuteronomy chapter 24 and Exodus chapter 21. We won't take the time to, to dive into those, but to be faithful. And there's a promise. When you're standing at the altar, you're saying, look, I will be faithful to you. 
That's important. The second is to provide. To be able to, there's provision in a marriage situation. Exodus talks about it. Also, Ephesians chapter 5 talks about meeting the needs of your spouse. So being faithful, providing, and then love. And Ephesians 5, of course, talks about love a lot. But even Colossians chapter 3, verse 9 says, Look, do not be harsh in your relationships to love. And when faithfulness or provision or love, when those vows are broken, there are grounds for divorce from a biblical perspective. It's not that God wants that, but there is technically a provision for someone to carry out divorce. Now, I want to talk about each of these a little further and look at some scripture here. The first is being faithful. The opposite of being faithful in this regard is to be adulterous. And let's look at Matthew chapter 5. These are Jesus' words, Matthew chapter 5, this is in the Sermon on the Mount. And listen to what he says. He said, it's been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But, verse 32, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become adulterous, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. The, fo- the focus I want to bring is to those two words, marital unfaithfulness. What does that mean? The root word there is pornania, the same word that we've studied in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and chapter 6 and now in chapter 7. It has the idea of adultery for sure, but it could also uh, give uh, way to homosexuality or incest or sexual lewdness. And it does not carry the idea that if there is one moral failure or one time, one place type of situation, that, uh, that that gives you the right. But the idea here is marital unfaithfulness is an ongoing lifestyle of promiscuity. Very interesting as you study that. And if your mate fails just one time, technically, you may have grounds for divorce, but God's ways are always higher God is always, always, always looking for restoration. Always looking for restoration. The only ones that took it technically to the law were the Pharisees, and no one wants to be a Pharisee. There's another part in Matthew chapter 19. Turn with me there. Jesus, again, is being asked about divorce, uh, about this whole thing. And uh, the first part of the chapter... He's talking about unity, a man and a wife being united as one. The two are no longer two, but one joined together. And what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. But listen to what he says. Then in verse 7, the Pharisees are asking again, Why then did Moses command a man to give his wife a certificate of, of divorce and to send her away? And Jesus, he says, look, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. It was the hardness of the heart. But then it says, I tell you that anyone who divorces, oh, no, no, but it was not this way from the beginning. God's design was always for one man, one wife, for life. That was God's plan. But he says, I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife, again, except for marital unfaithfulness, there's that same root word uh, there, that an ongoing lifestyle of promiscuity, 
and marries another woman commits adultery. The point is, is yes, God's grace can overcome failure. It may not be easy. It may not be uh, uh, the, uh, the road that you want to go, but God's word encourages that, that it is possible with God's help. And so this faithfulness, the flip side of that is adultery, a pattern of unfaithfulness. The second one is interesting too, that we are called as married people to provide. And the opposite of provision is abandonment. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it talks about abandonment uh, from an unbeliever. If an unbeliever walks away, and we'll get to there uh, in a little bit. But Ephesians chapter 5 also talks about the meeting the needs of your spouse to protect, to provide emotionally, financially, spiritually, and physically. And when that, when that abandonment happens, there is provision or there's, it's permitted to walk away or for divorce to be a possible uh, thing. The third one is a little more difficult. It's a little more abstract. It's the opposite of love is abuse. And Matt Billard is trying to help me to understand this and really to get my mind around this, that when there is abuse, and uh, uh, the Bible does not say, yes, you need to stay married and uh, to continue to endure. Uh, There needs to be a separation or uh, potentially even a divorce. When there's violence, when you're in danger physically or emotionally, uh, it's important that that abuse is, uh, is taken care of and that you get the help that you need. And so these three things, if faithfulness, if provision or love are, are on the flip side, if there's adultery, abandonment, and abuse, then if those covenant vows have been broken, then divorce is permissible. But I want to say this. Yes, it's permissible according to God's word, but it's still not the best. God always is looking for restoration. Now, some people read God's word. They read Paul's words here, or they read through the New Testament and, uh, uh, and look at uh, Jesus' words, or they look at the Old Testament law, and they're saying, ah, that's too harsh. I can't, I can't live that way. And what people try to do, they try to do workarounds or try to you know, get uh, the word to say certain things according to, their, uh, according to their situation. And I just want to warn you, take God at his word and uh, let his word be uh, supreme in your lives. So verse 10, we, we read it. To the married, I give this command, a wife must not separate. But verse 11, but if she does, remember this is two married people people that are both believers. She must remain unmarried. So if a divorce happens or separation happens, those two believers need to remain unmarried or else be reconciled back to their original spouse. The encouragement Paul is saying is, look, the goal is always to reconcile. And if you can't reconcile, then stay unmarried. It kind of begs the question, well, when is remarriage possible? I think you've got to go back to those three things, adultery, abandonment, and abuse, 
And uh, when the bond is broken in any of those areas, a Christian is free to marry another believer. We understand that in Scripture. In fact, in Scripture, when you look at it as a whole, there is, a le- uh, there is legitimate divorce, and remarriage is assumed when divorce in that way happens. When divorce is permitted, remarriage is also, um, uh, also possible. And Paul is, is saying that, yes, that's to be expected. The other way that that can happen, of course, is Romans chapter 7, verse 2, that if one of the marriage partners dies, uh, in fact, we can turn there real quick, Romans chapter, uh, chapter 7, verse 2, says, By law, a married woman or wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if the husband dies, she is released from the law of Marriage, And so again, that's a a situation where remarriage would be possible. But again, coming back to Paul's idea, I believe uh, a full context from God's word is that forgiveness and restoration are always encouraged, not how can I get remarried or how can this be possible in in your situation. If not abused or abandoned or there's adultery or death, Really, the encouragement is to stay single, to not get remarried. And again, people try to work around this. Oh, God will forgive me, or I'll, I'm so lonely, I, I just you know, need a mate, uh, or whatever the case might be, I need provision, or the things that we talked about last week, some of the things people try to work around, and they say, oh, well, well God will forgive me. Well, yes, God's grace is pretty amazing. But in the... So in these circumstances, it's so important for you to realize that your actions, there will be consequences. See, the bottom line is if a, if a Christian divorces another Christian, which happens in this society, it happened then, neither partner is free to marry another person, according to God's word. Even in the case of adultery, abandonment, and abuse, it's best to reconcile, to remain unmarried preserving that bond, one man, one wife. And this is important. And this is God's, uh, God's best, is one man, one wife for life. Amen? Amen. All right, we're going to continue. We're going to now switch from talking to married couples that are both believers, and now we're going to say married, but one's a believer, one is not a believer. And we'll pick that up in verses 12 and 13. Look what it says. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord, which we'll pause there for a second. This is Paul saying, look, this is, this is what I've, uh, I've not heard Jesus say this, but it's still inspired. It's still the word of God. Amen. And uh, that's an important distinction. It says, If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer he, and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. Now, again, going back, if there's abandonment or there's abuse or a continual um, uh, you know, adultery, uh, that's a different story. We've already covered that. But if there's two people that can live together, one's married, one's not, they can get along. The idea here is that, um, that you should stay married. 
The context here is that there were some members in the Corinth church who got saved, who were previously married, and after being married, their their spouse did not get saved, and they're saying, hey, should we even be together? Should we get divorced? And Paul is saying, no. If the mate is willing to stay, live with them. Enjoy your life. Get along. Now I want to pause here for a second because there's something that's said to be said here about marrying an unbeliever. This is those that are already married. But that doesn't say go ahead and move forward and get married to an unbeliever. Look what 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39 says. It's at the end of this chapter, and we're going to get there eventually, I promise. But it says, A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, right? But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In church, I cannot uh, encourage you enough that when you are considering a potential mate, and young people, you need to hear this, middle-aged people need to hear this, older adults need need to hear this, Do not marry an unbeliever. Don't even date an unbeliever. Don't entertain it. And parents, can I encourage you that this is our responsibility to be sharing this news, to be walking with our kids, and not just once they're 18 years old, but when they're young, 2 and 3 years old, 5 and 6, 10 and 11, 14, 15. We need to be encouraging along the way because... The point is this, when a married person, a a believer, is married to an unbeliever, at some level, it will be disastrous. You say, boy, that seems kind of rough. You say, oh, it's no big deal today, right? And you kind of track along, you say, hey, we're fine, we get along, we love each other, right? Well, today may not be a big deal, but what happens when you have kids? And then you're talking about how to raise your kids. Then it becomes a big deal. Or you begin to grow deeper in the Lord and you want to share something spiritually and the other partner, the unbeliever, is non-existent or, or not interested. Then it becomes a big deal. See, these guidelines are for us to grow because God loves us. He puts these words in our Bible. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, you need to underline this, highlight this in your Bible. Young people, old people, (laughs) everybody here needs to, this is God's word and it speaks truth. It says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what is righteousness and wickedness have in common? Nothing, right? Or what fellowship can light have in darkness? They cannot fellowship together. And so parents, heed, share this with your parents or with your kids and young people and old people and everyone here. Do not get married or do not even consider dating an unbeliever. That's what God's word, I believe, is for you today. Let's continue in verse 14, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It says, for the unbelieving husband has been sanctified. So the question is, is okay, if I'm going to stay, I'm a believer, my spouse is not, isn't this going to affect our relationship? Isn't this going to affect our kids, right? And what Paul's saying, look, for the unbelieving husband 
has been sanctified through his wife. And we'll explain what that means. And the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children will be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. They're holy. What this is saying is that believers bring a spiritual blessing to their homes by the fact that that Jesus is living inside their hearts. Paul is saying that the the Christian partner can be a positive spiritual influence and blessing to the person that is unsaved. Verse 14 is not saying that the unbeliever is now saved because we know that each person is responsible, has to surrender their own lives. But it means that the believer exerts a spiritual influence in the home that can potentially lead to salvation for the lost partner. And that would be the goal. And so if a husband and a wife, one believing, one not, if they can live together, so be it. Paul's saying, look, don't divorce, but love each other just as you would. And the truth is, some people say, well, what about the kids? Won't it affect the kids negatively? And he talks about that too. That yes, there, there's a, it's true with raising kids. There's a grace that's given to families. The fear might be that the children would be defiled or they might run, run and, uh, and uh, be damaged in some way. But Paul is saying, look, they're not going to be damaged. Your kids are holy, not saved, in the sense that they're, that they're going to be Christians because of you. But they're holy. They're covered. And so the point is, if you're married to an unbeliever, be committed and God will protect you and he will protect your kids. Amen? Amen. All right, one more set of people that he's talking to. Again, in this 15 and 16, it's a believer and an unbeliever, but the believer wants to stay, but the unbeliever wants to go. Listen to what it says. These are guidelines for those married to an unbeliever. Verse 15. But if the unbeliever leaves, says, I've had it. I'm done. I, I'm tired of this Christian stuff. I'm, uh, uh, I, I don't want to hear it anymore. Or they're belligerent or they're just, you know, uh, their heart is set on, on sin. And they're saying, I'm out of here. If an unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. God has called us to live in peace. You say, man, well, if I let them go, what, you know, what destiny do they have? Won't they be destined to hell? Well, verse 16 kind of describes what will happen. It's, it says here, it says, how do you know, wife, whether or not you'll save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you'll save your wife? The point is, it's not your problem. How will they hear? That's not up to you. God has called you to live in peace. That's what God has called you to do. Not to minimize the pain or the hurt or the rejection or the brokenness, but God has called you to live in peace. And so when an unbeliever leaves or abandons the situation, at that point, you are free. You're free. Divorce is never easy. And I, I, my heart goes out to those families that have been touched by divorce. My mom, uh, her parents were divorced when she was 12 or 13 years old, and uh, it was devastating. 
uh, in those circumstances. I know some of your stories um, here, and, and divorce is never easy. There's a ripping, there's a tearing, and uh, it's never, ever good. Some people think, oh, it'd be better if we just, you know, separate or, or whatever, and, uh, but it, it's hurtful, not only in the, in the, for the husband and the wife, it's hurtful for the kids. There's ripples of effect and if God's best is to be married, two believers together, that's God's best. As I was studying this week and looking and just praying and asking God for some insight, I came across something I've never really fully understood in Scripture. Um, there was a marriage in the Bible that was touched by divorce, and it's the most unlikely of people that experienced it. The marriage was between God and Israel. There was a covenant between God and Israel. And it's described in the Old Testament. In fact, the covenant was a huge, huge commitment. They would take uh, sheep and they would cut the sheep in half, the sheep in half, and they would walk through sheep, yeah. They would walk through the blood and, uh, and they, to, to consecrate a marriage or a, their vows. It was very serious, and there was this marriage between God and Israel. But the people of Israel, the Bible describes, they were unfaithful. They were adulterous in their relationship. And I want you to turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 3. Very interesting verse here. Jeremiah chapter 3. What we see here is that Israel is unfaithful, and what does God do about it? You can start reading in verse 6. Uh, we, we won't do that. Let's, let's look at verse number 8. It says, this is God said, I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all her adulteries. When I read that, when I saw that, then that was illuminated. You know what that means? Is that God got a divorce. I, when, you, when you think about that, and sometimes in our culture, people that get divorced, they think that they're less or that they're broken or damaged. No, 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 no. God, even God himself, God writes out a certificate of divorce. God goes through a divorce. And what some people go right to Malachi 2.16, they say, God says, I hate divorce. You've heard it before. And yes, Malachi says that. But the reason God can say that is because he experienced it firsthand. God hates it. He experienced it. And he's saying, look, I know how it feels. I know the pain and the rejection, the anguish. I know I felt the brokenness. I understand what happens when hard hearts are developed. But you know what? The story doesn't end there. In Malachi or in Jeremiah. Because God in His ultimate plan had something beautiful planned. He, if you fast forward to Calvary to Jesus dying on the cross, Jesus taking the weight of the, the sin of the world on his back, what happens is that Jesus provides the first recovery plan at Calvary. He restores the relationship with his people, with us, and provides a way for us to have communion 
once again with him. You understand what I'm saying? God, he, his goal is always restoration and forgiveness, and he leads the way. The reality is that, look, we are all on the wrong side. We've all been divided or separated from God. But God, in his infinite mercy, provided a way to fill in the gap. And it's beautiful that, it, if, that if you're divorced this morning, you are not less. If you are single, you are not less. But God, he wants all of us to be able to surrender. And God's desire is saying, look, if you desire to, uh, if, you do, if you will let me, I will help you in your situation. He will help you. This morning, I don't know where you are. Maybe your marriage is struggling and you're saying, man, it would just be easier just to be done. I'm out of here. And maybe God is speaking to you. Or maybe you're single and maybe you've been divorced and maybe you've been married before. And that whole first, first chapter or first section is saying, boy, it's better to remain single, to remain unmarried. Or maybe God is speaking to you and you're living with an unbeliever and the unbeliever is wanting to go and it's giving you some freedom to say, okay, all right, I'm released to live in peace. There's a lot here to try to sink our teeth into. But I believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak to each of our hearts. You might be a a young person here saying, you know, I'm going to take these verses to heart. And when it's my turn to find a a potential mate, they've got to be a Christian. There's no no more or no idea of missionary dating. Right? Whatever God is speaking to you, we want to just commit those things to the Lord today. I want to pray for you this morning. Lord, I thank you that you're restoring God. And God, you yourself experienced divorce. Amazing. But Lord, then you provided a way for reconciliation. You provided a way to be open communication with you and Jesus and with us. God, I pray for each person here, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be speaking just the right things to each one here to strengthen marriages, to strengthen those that are single, to strengthen those young adults that have the future ahead of them, but also comforting those who maybe have experienced divorce and have felt rejected or the pain has been great. Or maybe someone's here is, is struggling right now with what to do in their marriage. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak and that you would do what only you can do, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would keep your word as the priority and not try to work around and try to get Scripture to say what we want it to say. But Lord, that we would stand on your word no matter what. And God, that we would be people of integrity and that we would be honoring your word. And God, I know that there's people that have made mistakes, that have, uh, looking back, they wish they would have had some teaching like this. But God, I just pray for grace today to cover in every circumstance. Lord, I thank you, God, that you are a good God, that you care deeply. And Lord, you haven't forsaken us, not even for a moment. Lord, I just pray a healing balm over each one. Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. I want you to stand this morning before we take off this morning and uh, spend time with our families, if that's the plan. I want to just share with you one more thing, that the gospel, God's word, says that if you know Jesus and accept him as your personal savior, that you will live forever with him in heaven. It's the promise of salvation that's found in scripture. And we understand that today, I don't know everyone here, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, I want to give you that opportunity today to surrender your life to the Lord. And if you're not here, or if you're here, don't, there's no reason you should walk out of those doors without knowing 100%, saying, God, I trust you, I, I, I'm going to put my faith in you. And so with everyone's head bowed and eyes closed, as we cl- conclude our time today, I want to give you this opportunity. If you're here and you're ready to surrender and say, God, you take control of my life. I believe in you. Would you just slip up your hand right where you are? I want to pray with you. I'm not going to embarrass you. But if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, but you're ready to to know him and to invite him into your life, is there anyone here in that circumstance at all? All right, I don't see any hands. Keep your heads bowed and eyes closed just for one more thing. As we talk about these verses, um, we want to be committed as believers. Let's, so let's just assume we're all believers here. We want to be committed to God's word being the standard of our lives, even when it's difficult, right? And so this morning, with just a sign of raising your hands to the Lord. If you're interested in committing your life to God and to according to His Word, would you just lift your hands here for a moment and just say, God, I'm committed to you. I'm committed to your Word all across this room. Lord, we, and just begin to tell God that you're committed, that you want to live according to His standard, according to His rules, and not your own. God, we just give you our hearts and our lives. God, we ask that you would fill us, God, and that you would give us the strength to walk in your ways. God, even when it's difficult, even when it's hard, Lord, I pray for wisdom, God, from your word for our every day. Lord, we thank you for this. And God, we give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. And Lord, now as we leave here today, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to go in your grace Lord, go before us, behind us, and all around us. We pray it all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Amen. We love you. Go in the grace of God. Um, Be back next Sunday. It's going to be a great Sunday as we continue through 1 Corinthians. The altars are open if you need prayer for anything. Otherwise, go in the grace of God. We love you.